trust you're having a good week. I can't believe Christmas is in a couple of weeks. This is crazy. We were singing Christmas carols for Christmas. Yeah, well, tis the season. Tis the season, that's for sure. So, well, glad you could be here tonight. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in the Day of the Lord section. In fact, I've titled this Day of the Lord Part 2 as, as 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 really goes together as a, as a unit. And let's pray and then we'll get into our study here. Lord, we do thank you for the uh, glorious truth of the incarnation, your first coming. But uh, tonight we're studying really about the, the second coming, the day of the Lord. And uh, pray that you would bless our, our study as we get into the word here. And uh, thank you for the, the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry. And uh, Lord, we pray for the uh, youth group, the Iwana ministries, that the word of God would go forth with power there. Thank you for each one of the leaders, the teachers, the helpers, everyone that's involved in the great work uh, that we're involved in here. So, Lord, uh, we ask your blessing on all the ongoing ministries this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, you note uh, on the overhead, the theme is uh, the day of Christ, Christ coming for the church. As I often mention, it's, it's uh, referenced in every chapter. We've worked our way down to the, the day of the Lord theme here in chapter 5. As uh, the Thessalonians got saved, it was pretty cool. They turned from idols uh, to serve the living God, as it says in chapter 1, verse 10. And what else? They turned from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. Yeah. So they were right from the very get-go. They're looking for Jesus to come. I mean, that's, that's where they were in terms of their, their whole mentality right from the very beginning. But as you go along, um, Paul goes off the scene. Some of them die. And they have questions about, well, what's happened to them now? Are they going to partake in the rapture when Christ comes? What's going to happen to them? Are they just going to be left out? Well, he answers that in chapter 4. Oh, no, no. Uh, they're going to be caught up first, and then we'll be uh, caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so they're not going to be left out in any way, shape, or form. But uh, he goes on then to uh, underscore certain truths about the day of the Lord that follows the rapture. And I think we have the order, uh, rapture in chapter 4, day of the Lord judgment in chapter 5. And there's a, there's a sequence and there's a, a distinction there. Remember, he starts out there in chapter 5, uh, my new King James says, but, but the Greek is peride, which uh, is a transitional word that means we're transitioning to a different subject. Similar, but distinct. And uh, Paul consistently uses it that way, uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians when he's changing from one subject to another. Well, uh, we uh, saw last time, as you uh, noted uh, there, if you remember, uh, Paul makes a contrast between the sphere of light, we're of the light, and those that are of the darkness. Uh, we're sons of the light, different nature than those that are sons of the darkness. And uh, we have a different destiny. And so we noted that last time in the first five verses. And uh, we noted there, too, that this day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Strong emphasis here. Uh, when the world is not suspecting it, it's going to catch him off guard. It's going to come as a thief in the night comes. Well, he makes some real practical application then as far as how we should then live. Uh, those of us who know what's coming. And uh, let's pick it up. Somebody want to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6? Let's get started there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Who wants to read that? Yeah, Dave? Yeah, 
Okay, thank you. <clears throat> now, we want to note from the very beginning here that the word sleep here is a completely different word than the word that was used back in chapter 4, verse 13, and uh, f- uh, through 15, 13 and 14, 15. Uh, remember what he said back there in, in 4.13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Well, the word there is using a reference to physical death, those who have died physically. He's using a different word here when he says, let us not sleep. He's not saying, oh, let's not, let, make sure you don't die. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about here. And he uses a different word here that implies uh, spiritual indifference. Don't sleep. Uh, Don't be uh, morally lethargic, uh, spiritually insensitive. That's the idea. Don't be be spiritually sleepy. Uh, And this is interesting because it uh, really suggests strongly that you can be that way, right? As a believer, uh, you can be be a sleepy believer, uh, certainly to some degree, so note, uh, the very warning here indicates that it is possible to some degree for believers who are of the day to function like those who are spiritually of the darkness of the night. It's possible for believers uh, for a time and to a degree to lapse into spiritual indifference. For example, when Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some, the some in view are presumably believers who are at home sleeping, so to speak. I'm, I'm adding that last part. You understand, I'm speaking spiritually. Uh, as believers, we can get careless, sleepy in, in our spiritual walk. Uh, honestly, I think there's more truth and fiction in what I just said in, in terms of Sunday morning <laughs> sometimes, where, you know, you, you are literally physically sleeping, but maybe it's indicative of being spiritually uh, sleepy. Uh, let us not sleep as others do. Uh, he's talking about unbelievers here. Um, it's a, another interesting word here. Uh, note uh, others here. Uh, the word others is not allos, uh, those who are of the same kind, nor is it heteros, uh, those who are of a different kind. It's an interesting word here, loipoi, uh, which means the remaining ones. Uh, it refers to those who are left behind. Let us not sleep as those who will be left behind at the rapture. Let us not be indifferent like those who have no consideration for the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord that follows. Uh, so let's not be like those who are, who are going to be left behind, basically is what, he, what he's saying, as, as do others. They, they are completely spiritually indifferent. They, they don't know, they don't care. And he says, let, let's not be like that. But instead, he says, let us watch and be sober. Uh, watch means to be spiritually alert. It uh, means to be... Uh, uh, waiting and watching as, as they were doing right from the very beginning of their uh, conversion. He's encouraging them basically to keep on. We see a lot of emphasis uh, in Christ's ministry and all through the New Testament, really, for that matter, as far as being watchful. Christ says here in, in Mark 13, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the, of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, in, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Uh, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So clearly Christ uh, has made it clear we should be watching. Uh, and, and that's what Paul is emphasizing here too. Be, be watching, uh, be spiritually uh, vigilant, and be sober. Uh, he's using this in a metaphorical way in terms of being uh, spiritually uh, sensitive. 
uh, spiritually uh, disciplined and self-controlled. Uh, when you're sober, you're in control of your senses. And, and that's the idea here, to be clear-headed uh, and to be spiritually ready in that sense. Okay, that's his introductory thought that he's going to build on. Any, any thoughts from you? Any other input here? Okay, that means we covered it thoroughly, right? Okay, very good. Uh, let's have somebody read 7 and 8. Uh, Jeff, did you have your hand up? You want to read that for us? Okay, thank you. So, uh, he begins, he's continuing to build on what he has said here. He makes an analogy here between uh, the natural realm and the spiritual realm. So, he's making an analogy here. Uh, Those who sleep, sleep at night. Uh, I tried to explain this to my little grandson, Theo, uh, who's had a terrible time sleeping. I mean, they finally took Grandpa's counsel a little bit and said, you know, let's let him sleep or we're all going to die. <laughs> I mean, uh, so I would talk to him and I'd say, Theo, the birds sleep at night and we should do what the birds do. <laughs> they wake up early in the morning. That's fine, but you have to sleep at night. Anyway, it, did, it didn't work. But anyway, those who sleep, uh, sleep at night. I mean, that's natural. That's normal. And uh, when do people usually get drunk? Well, sometimes people get drunk in the day, that's true. But normally, most people, when they are partying, carrying on late, they do it late at night, right? They go into all hours of the night. Uh, That's what is common. And so he's making an analogy here, uh, and he's talking in terms of uh, what is the natural realm, and uh, and he's going to make some application here. Uh, As people of the day, we should not be carrying on like people of the night, because we are of the day, as he's already said. This is is our character. We are of the light. We're not of the the darkness. We're not of the night. So uh, we are to be uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, under the influence of of the light, and not uh, characterized by those uh, who are of the darkness or of the night. Um, Let's see here. I think I got another slide here. We have four contrasts here, uh, two kinds of people. There's light and there's darkness. There's day and there's night. There's who are awake and those who are asleep, those who are sober and those who are drunk. So he's, he's drawing some contrasts all, all the way through here. And then he goes on in verse 8. Uh, but let us who are of the day, that's us, uh, we're of the light, we're of the day. Let us who are of the day be sober. And uh, then he goes on to, to show how we can, how we can make this happen. Uh, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Uh, this is what's involved in uh, living a sober, in a sober way, in a, in a serious way, in a clear-headed way, uh, spiritually speaking. Uh, let us who are of the day be sober. That's in the present tense. And uh, by the way, he's using some language here, breastplate and the helmet. This is really language drawn from Uh, Probably a Roman soldier. Paul's emphasis on alertness and soberness fits well with the imagery of a Roman soldier who is on guard. A Roman soldier could be put to death for going to sleep at his post. In addition, the soldier would have on his protective gear, which Paul uses to make a spiritual analogy. So he's kind of using that uh, figurative language related to a perhaps a Roman soldier uh, in terms of the uh, the breastplate here. Um, By the way. uh, 
let us be sober is in present tense, but putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation, that's in the aorist tense, which is fact of action. And so this would suggest a, a one-time action. And uh, it's put on to, and it should be on to stay on. Uh, that's the idea here. So we're not talking about salvation here. Uh, we're not talking about coming to faith. We're talking about practicing our faith. Putting on the breastplate. The bre- uh, breastplate was, you know, it was over the, over the chest. And it covered the vital organs. You might talk about a bulletproof vest in terms of comparing uh, with our day. Uh, put on the breastplate. I mean, put on that that's going to uh, protect your, your vital organs, spiritually speaking. And then he says, uh, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. It's interesting. He combines these uh, as a package, really. Where you find one, you find the other. Faith and love go together in the New Testament. They are distinct, and yet they're very closely uh, related. Uh, first is faith. And out of faith, if it's genuine, there is expected to be the fruit of love. And we see this in places like Galatians 5, 6. Uh, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. That's not what it's all about. That, that doesn't matter. I mean, that's not the issue. But what is the issue? Well, faith working through love. Uh, this is what really avails. This is what really matters, a, a faith that works through love. And again, closely uh, connected faith and love in the New Testament. And then he says, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Uh, now, the idea of uh, hope uh, is a, a certain expectation. We're expecting God to fulfill his promises. And uh, uh, the helmet is uh, the idea of uh, that which is a protection for the, the head, therefore the mind. Uh, salvation in context refers to the deliverance from the day of the Lord wrath, which will come upon the world after the rapture. The Thessalonians already had eternal life. The salvation in view here is eschatological. Uh, Paul says this reality is to serve as a protection for our heads, that is, our minds. On this topic, their thinking wasn't clear, and it left them shaken and confused. Paul says, the hope of deliverance in the rapture is like a protective helmet around the mind. And I've known people that were very, uh, weren't taught. Uh, one of my daughters went to school with a, a gal. She's a wonderful Christian woman, but she hasn't really been taught on this. She was just terribly, as things are happening in the world in the last couple of years, she was just all agitated, like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? And uh, so we talked about the hope that we have. You know, we don't have to worry about all these things. Uh, no matter what's coming, we need to rest in the Lord, of course. But uh, there, is a, there is a blessed hope in terms of what Christ is going to do in taking us out of the world before this, this terrible time of all-consuming judgment uh, comes upon the world. Okay, uh, any other thoughts there before we get into verses 9 and 10? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Spiritual warfare. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyone else? Okay, let's have somebody read verses uh, 9 and 10. Who wants to read that for us? 9 and 10. Yeah. Anita, and then we'll go to you, Albert.
Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Love verse 9. Uh, there's an appointment here. There's actually two appointments in this same verse, very closely related the way it would seem. Uh, verse 9, uh, when he's talking about this appointment to wrath, really points back to the day of the Lord judgment that he talks about in verse 2, starting in verse 2 there. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. When they say peace and safety and then sudden destruction... Uh, so that, that's the idea here. Uh, this time of wrath, this time of judgment and destruction that will come upon the world. And uh, he says, God did not appoint us to wrath. Uh, the day of the Lord is definitely a time of wrath. We read this many times in the book of Revelation, covering that, that time, what we call the tribulation period, uh, Revelation 6 through Revelation 18. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a time of, of God's wrath. We're not appointed uh, to this, this coming time of wrath. By the way, when the seals begin to be uh, uh, unfolded in, in the, or unsealed in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6, uh, you know, he's working his way down here to the sixth seal, said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And uh, the answer is, there, there will be no standing except for in, in Jesus Christ when it's all said and done. Everything else is going to come down. But uh, this, I think, is what he's talking about here. The day of the Lord, wrath. And God did not appoint us to wrath. Now, there's, uh, there's different aspects here. Um, note, uh, in terms of wrath, different aspects of God's wrath. Uh, Paul talks about the wrath that is now revealed as people are given over to a debased mind, vile passions. <clears throat> They're given over uh, in Romans chapter 1. Uh, total depravity <laughs> uh, comes shining through as they're given over. It's a sign of God's judgment. Uh, then there's a tribulation judgment. The, the great day of his wrath has come. We just read about that in Revelation chapter 6. This is the, the tribulation judgment. Uh, the second coming judgment. Uh, the wine press and the fierceness of... And wrath of Almighty God. As Je that's in connection with the second coming of Jesus Christ in Revelation 19. And then the eternal torment. The wrath of God poured out, on, uh, poured out in full strength uh, where people will be tormented with fire and brimstone forever and ever. As seen in Revelation 14. Uh, that too is, is wrath. So there's different aspects of God's wrath. Uh, we're uh, really talking about this right here. The day of the Lord is the context that we are talking about in our, in our study here. Um, in terms of uh, the tribulation, I uh, note this. In, in view in this context is the coming day of the Lord wrath, otherwise known as the tribulation period or the 70th week of Daniel. It refers to the seven-year period of judgment that will come upon the whole earth. The emphasis is that the church will be taken out and then God's wrath falls on the world. This was the same emphasis in chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul said, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, they were saved to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us from this wrath to come. Uh, so there's a consistency all the way through here. Uh, God did not appoint us uh, to wrath. Uh, the pattern in the scriptures is deliverance of God's people first and then the wrath of God's judgment. Uh, we see this very consistently. Uh, note here in Luke 17... Uh, Jesus is talking, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. And really in context, he's talking about uh, 
the second coming, you know, two stages of the second coming, first the rapture and then the, the final uh, consummation as he comes to the earth seven years later. But notice, uh, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. Uh, Noah entered in the ark and then the flood came. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, drank, bought, sold, planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day uh, when the Son of Man is revealed. So the pattern is very consistent. First, we have the deliverance uh, seen in Noah. Then the flood came. Uh, The deliverance of Lot. Then the fire fell. That's, That's the pattern all the way through. Uh, first deliverance and then wrath. Okay, let's see here. I guess this is a little redundant, but uh, Noah first went into the ark, then immediately the flood of judgment came. Lot was first removed from Sodom, and then the very same day the fire of God's judgment fell. But there's a pattern, I think, here. Uh, this pattern is consistent with Jesus in Luke when he says, The day will come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of, of the whole world. Um, first uh, we will be delivered, and then this will come upon them as a thief in the night. A couple more, I guess, here as far as slides. William MacDonald says, The rapture has two aspects, salvation and wrath. For the believer, it means the consummation of his salvation in heaven. For the unbeliever, it means the ushering in of a time of wrath on earth. And I think he's right there. These are very closely connected. I think they're both in the same verse, in fact. Uh, God did not appoint us to wrath. Nope, that's not our appointment, but to obtain salvation. So uh, I don't know, this next slide here, oh, very good. I don't know if that was going to come up or not. You did your homework on that, didn't you, John? Good job. Uh, So we're here in the church age, and we believe the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is is the rapture of the church. It's our blessed hope. Uh, It's always imminent. We don't know when it's going to happen. It was uh, the hope of Paul. It was the hope of the early church. It's been the hope of the church down through the ages. We don't know when it's going to happen. But uh, at some point it will happen. And then uh, we're appointed to this. We're not appointed to this. Our appointment is deliverance via the rapture. And then there is an appointment of judgment for the world, the day of the Lord judgment. Uh, which will follow uh, that seven-year tribulation period, uh, the 70th week of Daniel. Okay, um, God did not appoint us to wrath. Uh, that, that's not our appointment. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is uh, our appointment. Um, there's two appointments, as I say. The world has an appointment with God's wrath, but we as believers don't. Rather, we have an appointment with deliverance. Salvation means deliverance. Been saved, been delivered. Uh, Salvation, deliverance. We will be delivered out of the world before this time of wrath comes upon the world, as spelled out in the book of Revelation. The idea is that the world is on a collision course with God's judgment day of wrath. But just before it hits, we will be delivered in the rapture. Uh, That's the emphasis here, I think, in this verse. We're not appointed to this wrath, but to obtain deliverance uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, This is always the basis for deliverance on on every level. Uh, It's our only basis of deliverance. Uh, He is our Savior. He is our our deliverer. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means master, God master. Jesus means savior, God savior. And Christ means anointed one or the, the special chosen one. And uh, he's our, our Lord Jesus Christ. He, it's personal. He, he belongs to us as we have entered into a faith relationship with him. All right, we're going to build on that. The sentence isn't done here, but any other thoughts before we get to verse uh, 10? Okay, notice uh, he's continuing on his thought, uh, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Again, this is the basis uh, for being delivered from all aspects of God's wrath. Uh, It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, He took our penalty on the cross, so we're no longer uh, under the wrath of God. Uh, In fact, uh, you know, we could go to a lot of different verses that kind of intimate this, but in Isaiah 53, 10, I like the ESV's translation, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. But I really want to emphasize on this part here. To crush him, to put him to grief. His soul is made an offering for guilt. Christ took our penalty so that we wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. And notice that we never experience the wrath of God as believers. I don't think so. Even in discipline. You know, discipline is not described as experiencing God's wrath. What's it described as? Love, right? God disciplines all of his children whom he loves. Exactly. And so who is under the wrath of God? Well, it's the unbeliever. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's like the wrath of God is hovering over these people who don't believe on Jesus Christ. But that's not true for us as believers. Uh, No, not not now for us. We we will never experience the wrath of God, not in this life, not in the tribulation period, not in eternity. Uh, Nope, we're not under the wrath of God anymore. We're not appointed to wrath. And why? Well, because Christ died for us. And we now know him as our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep. Wow, what's this mean? Whether we wake or sleep, whether we're dead or alive, it could be taken that way, but I don't think that's the right way to take this. And uh, I'll explain why in in a moment. I really think when he says that whether we wake or sleep, uh, of course, we know awake is being spiritually alert. Whether we're spiritually alert or whether we get lethargic and we get spiritually careless, we should live together with him. You know... uh, you, you can have it one way or the other as a believer in a sense. You can be awake or you can be uh, asleep. Uh, the call here is to moral readiness. That's the whole surrounding contextual emphasis. And uh, if it's not possible to be sleepy as a believer, why the exhortation? doesn't make any sense. Uh, we can be spiritually sleepy. Uh, The word for sleep in verse 10 is the same word used in verse 6 for spiritual indifference. But it's a completely different word in chapter 4 when referring to physical death. So again, we have have a different word here uh, for sleep. Let's see, I think I show you a little bit more specifically. Sleep, uh, physically dead versus spiritually lethargic. Uh, Here's the word in chapter 4. 
Kamayo, and uh, here, Cthudo, in chapter 5. So uh, two, different, two different words here. So, you know, I, I love this in a sense because uh, if we didn't believe once saved, always saved, just imagine the pins and needles we'd be on. Man, what if I get a little, little bit spiritually sleepy? What if I get a little lethargic? What if I'm not really where I should be? Am I still going to go to be with the Lord? Uh, live on pins and needles. No, our security is in that Christ died for us. As our say, that's where our security's at. It's it's not in our ourselves. So I take uh, sleep here is in the ethical sense. Uh, even if we are spiritually sleepy, we're going to go in the rapture. Now that doesn't mean you say, well, I don't. Ma- it doesn't matter. It does matter. They have all kinds of warnings in the New Testament. For example, in First John two twenty eight, it exhorts us to abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at Him at His coming. The thought is that some of them. Uh, uh, the thought is not that some of them will be left behind. They may be ashamed, but they will be there. Uh, You know, so he's saying, abide so that when he appears, you're not ashamed. Uh, Who wants to meet Jesus on those terms? 1 Corinthians 3.15 brings out that a a believer may lose all their rewards, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. It's like a person who escapes a burning house with nothing but their bare life, uh, lost everything else. Well, you don't want to be in that category. You want the Lord to be pleased. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And, and you have a rich reward uh, as, as you uh, meet him. So, but his point here is, and it's kind of interesting because I think he's wanting to calm them and encourage them uh, when he says, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. We're not appointed to wrath, uh, but rather to obtain deliverance, to obtain salvation and uh, whether we wake or sleep, however, we uh, should live together with him. We're going to be with, with him. All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Andrew. Those remaining. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. My translation says others, but yeah, of those remaining that verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That contrast in that verse seems to imply do not fall asleep as those who will be remaining. Mm-hmm. Which refers to those who are not saved. Right. But then in verse 10, it seems that the, 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 that same word is referring to don't sleep as those who are spiritually asleep. Not mm-hmm. those. Well, uh, you know, let's back up to verse 6. Let us not sleep, so it's possible for us to do so, yes. right? Yes. As others. I mean, obviously, the, the unbelievers are completely asleep at the wheel, so to speak. They're completely indifferent yes. uh, towards spiritual things. And then you come down, uh, you're thinking here uh, that uh, in verse 10, uh, whether we wake or sleep, uh, we... So you're saying if, uh, if it means uh, spiritual indifference up here. It seems like in verse 10 it's 
Yeah, as, it is. Because as to whether awake or asleep, we will live with him. Mm -hmm. So either way, in either of those states, we will be with the Lord with the Christ for salvation. Right. But then in verse 6, that same word sleep is so that does not sleep as, uh, as those who are, will remain, referring to those that does not sleep as, unbel as unbelievers do. Yeah. So... I see the dichotomy. It's like it's characteristic of unbelievers, so how can it be characteristic of us? Right? Yeah. The problem is, the problem is, it can be to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And the thing is, as believers, we still have the flesh, and this is what governs the world. We're, we're not of the flesh, but we still have the flesh. And so, you know, we can, to a degree, live that way. And so I think that's really when you take the whole thing together, uh, he's saying, don't live that way. Don't live that way. But it is possible to some degree to live that way. And he, as a believer, even if you... Now, he said, don't do this. All the way through, he's saying, don't do this. But, you know, your mind goes to, well, what if I do as a believer? What if I get off track? What if I am spiritually lethargic and not where I should be? Whether we wake or sleep, we're going to live together with him. Um, you can see why the other argument, they do try to make this, whether we are physically alive or physically... Uh, uh, we're dead or alive, we're going to be with him. You can see where they might want to make that. But the, most of the commentators in our camp agree with what I'm teaching you here tonight, that it's really speaking of whether we're spiritually lethargic or not, we're going to go to be with the Lord. Right. Yeah, the, the, what's throwing you a little bit as others, up in verse 6, right? I mean, if it was just using reference only to believers all the way through here, but he's really kind of applying that to the unbeliever in verse 6, right? And that's where you're kind of struggling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. And go on there to read what he says as far as what kind of characterizes sleeping. Right. Right. Well, and I think he goes on to mention certain things there, too, as far as immorality and so forth, doesn't he, Vince? And one of those... Yeah, right. And not, not in carousing and, and drunk, whatever. But, yeah. 
So, you know, we are warned we can slip into that mode that kind of defines the world. It shouldn't. I mean, it should be uncharacteristic of us. But I really think I like this because it does enforce once saved, always saved. If you are a true believer, you're not going to slip out and say, well, he got left behind. Too bad he got off track. Uh, No, if you are a true believer, even if you are sleepy... (laughs) You're still going to go to be with the Lord. You're not appointed wrath. You're still, you're not under the wrath. If Once you're a believer, you've moved out of that realm of wrath now over here to salvation. And uh, you're not of uh, the night anymore. Therefore, you shouldn't be sleeping. You shouldn't do it. But it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of some is. Yeah, some do that, right? Mm-hmm. It's a great slope because people like one another, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is, you know, you know, sometimes you see here in the church, you know, we need to solve, you know, the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but then somebody makes fun, he's a yellow. So, uh, and that's what we have to do spiritually speaking. Yep. Give somebody the yellow. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good illustration. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Here, I, I, I'm just giving you a holy elbow here, you know. Try to wake you up, get you, spur you in the right direction. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Does that answer your question, Andrew, sufficiently? Even if not, we maybe have to go on, but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind, of cra- it's kind of crazy, Andrew. As believers, to some extent, we can carry on like an unbeliever. I mean, I think that only goes so far because God disciplines all of his children, and yet there's a reason you need discipline. Right? Because you're not where you should be. So there's, there's a happy balance here. We're not of the world, but sometimes we can... Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says, but it's meaning it's possible to kind of get there uh, to some degree. Uh, so we know... We all have the flesh yet, right? I mean, we kind of know this struggle here. All right. Very good. Yes, Rob? <laughs> yeah? Uh, the problem is they, bo- they both mean sleep. They both mean sleep. The problem is the one is kind of used uh, metaphorically for, for death. The other one's used metaphorically for spiritual lethargy. They both mean sleep. I, I, I haven't done a deep dive as far as in secular Greek, how this is, what is the fine nuances between them. Pretty much I'm reading what the scholars are telling me as far as the distinctions there. But yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, Rob. Maybe, maybe. That is highly debated. Um, there may be a little different nuance there, but there's other places where phileo and agape are interchangeable. So it's, again, in fact, I read an article this week, and the guy saying, you know, we make way too much out of the Greek, saying it's way too fine nuance, and it's not nearly as fine nuance as, as people want to make out as, as some supposed Greek scholars. So I don't know. It, it, gets, it gets tricky. All right. Anyone else? 
Okay, well, that's good interaction. Let's, uh, let's finish out here. Uh, somebody want to read verse 11 for us? Uh, yeah, Andrew. Okay, uh, my translation says comfort. Yours says encourage, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, we want to we want to encourage one another. We want to uh, we want to build each other up. Uh, you know, these words are words of comfort. Uh, we saw at the end of chapter four, verse eighteen. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He's coming back to that that theme here. Uh, these things are to be an encouragement for all believers. We are not appointed to wrath. That should encourage us. Uh, no matter what, no, no wrath. I'm not appointed to wrath. If the tribulation is a period of wrath, I'm not appointed to that. I'm not going in. Uh, by the way, I, I don't see how in the world uh, you could possibly comfort one another or encourage one. Brother, I want to encourage you. The, the day of the Lord is coming and we're right there and we're going in. And we're going to meet the Antichrist just to encourage you. I'm just encouraging. That's what this would be. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. Uh, that does nothing for me. Uh, it seems completely contrary to the idea of comfort to tell each other that we must first go through the horrors of the day of the Lord's judgment, tribulation period, before we get to see Christ. That view doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> just doesn't make sense. You say, well, we're only going halfway through. That doesn't do a whole lot for me either. Three quarters of the way. Marv Rosenthal's view. That doesn't do much for me either. Anyway, uh, therefore comfort each other and edify one another. The, the word edify means to build up, to build each other up spiritually. Uh, just as you are also are doing. Boy, wouldn't that, that's a great thing to say to the body. Do this just as you are doing. You're already doing it. Keep on, keep on, keep on doing it here. You know, people need encouragement. Uh, they need to be built up. Uh, I'm sure we've all had this experience where somebody just kind of is, they have the spiritual gift of tearing people down. I'm being facetious here. There is no such spiritual gift. But, uh, you know, constructive criticism, fine. But uh, we all need encouragement, that's for sure. Well, just to wrap up here, on January 15, 2009, Captain Sully flying a, flying a U.S. Airways Airbus attempting to leave New York made an emergency landing on the Hudson River because the engines died after the plane hit a flock of birds. All the passengers survived, and it was called the miracle on the Hudson. One passenger recalled that as the plane descended, the flight attendants kept repeating over the PA system, brace for impact, brace for impact, striking terror into the hearts of the passengers. The passenger then said, how do you brace for death? Well, that... <laughs> well, we know the answer to that, right? Look to Jesus. But... Uh, as we see last day's madness all about us, it is clear the world is headed for a crash landing with God's judgment. How do you brace for this? Well, the truth is the church has an emergency parachute. And just before it hits, we're going to be snatched out in the rapture, thus avoiding the day of the Lord judgment, uh, the time of wrath that is appointed for the world. Uh, you know, we know that uh, the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, Right? Normally, you have an appointment with death. The only exception is if Christ comes in our lifetime. And uh, if Christ comes in our lifetime, well, there's two appointments uh, in relationship to the rapture. There are two appointments in relation to the Lord's coming. One, believers are appointed to meet Jesus in the air at the rapture. Uh, salvation, deliverance. 
and thus miss the destruction that will come upon the entire earth. The unbelieving world has an appointment with the wrath of the day of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord and the day of the Lord judgment. The good news is that prior to the coming, uh, prior to Christ's coming, we can change appointments. Come to Jesus, be ready, live ready, Maranatha, perhaps today. I think I said it all in that, right? <laughs> but that is the exhortation of the scriptures, to, to be ready and to be watching and, and waiting and, and then to live ready. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Amen. Amen. Right. 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 Amen. That's such a comfort. I love Romans 8 1. You know, Romans 8 is my favorite chapter. But it starts, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None. Uh, we are never going to face the wrath of God because Jesus took all of the punishment for us on the cross. Uh, he's our wonder. That's why we love him. That's why we love him, because he took it all for us. All right. Any other thoughts? Okay, let's share some prayer requests. Uh, prayer sheets, anyone? Anybody need a prayer sheet?